Welcome to RHP Market Talk. I'm Natalie Pika. And I'm Glenn Royal. And together with Michelle Jones, we're the founding partners of Royal Harbor Partners Wealth Management. Also joining us today is our investment analyst, Jason Strzeski. There is a lot going on in the markets right now, a lot of data to digest, um, from the Fed meetings to the wrap-up of the third quarter of 2021. And we just want to hit some of the headlines and the highlights and look forward to as we wrap up the rest of this year so, Glenn, you and I, as usual here, there's always conversations and crosstalk about what's going on in the markets. And I think that one of the big headlines has been the Evergrande story and what that's going to look like. Is there going to be a spillover from China into the U.S.? What do you think? Yeah, Evergrande certainly got our attention this week, didn't it? Uh, yeah. It, it's, it, it reminds you, some folks are trying to take it to that Lehman moment when Lehman was so deeply embedded in the global financial system with counterparty risk and all these things that when it fell in 08, it took down the global economy with it. So we make that natural connection. Right. This is the same thing that's going to happen, that China's going to be the culprit this time. Rather than seeing this as a Lehman moment, I think people should probably look at this as a WorldCom moment. And those of you who remember back in the Enron days, the WorldCom, which was fraudulent activity that happened that took down that company. I think this is going to be more company specific. You are starting to see actions by China to come in and kind of ring fence the damage, yep. uh, injecting capital into the system. But I believe because of um, property development has really driven the growth of China. It's one of the internal dynamics. It's gotten so where housing has become extremely unaffordable in, in China. So this may be a way of the Chinese Communist Party to try to address this issue of housing affordability by just letting Evergrande implode, but ring-fencing collateral damage that may uh, come as a result of that. Okay. So I don't see it as a threat to the U.S. or the global economy, but we're certainly watching our eyes in case things should change. But right now, it's been more of a, it's an interesting show. You know, China, you know, just before this in the property casualty market, they were going after the technology industry. And mm -hmm. you saw that left and right, Tencent, Alibaba, all these, yep. as they're trying to rein in. And I think the point to make is, is China's not capitalist. The Chinese are communists that use capitalism as a tool, or it's mm -hmm. a way of life for Western economies. That's kind of something, a thread in here of understanding that we're all trying to, where the East meets West, and you're trying to understand how they're operating right now. But they're operating as communists, not as capitalists. Right, right. So the spillover is going to be at least contained to some degree. We think so we think at so. this moment. Yeah. You know, that's the general yeah. talk on the street. So another big uh, headline and topic this week was the Fed meeting, um, the taper tantrum, rate hikes, the timing, the, the balance sheet of the Fed, um, all of those things are kind of coming together. I think I, I really liked uh, what you mentioned uh, in a meeting earlier this week about the Fed's balance sheet being an $8 trillion balance sheet and what that looks like for tapering. Yeah, and so, you know, we go back to prior to 2008, the Fed's balance sheet ran about $750 billion. I mean, it wasn't what it is today. 2008 caused that to explode uh, up to about $4 trillion. Today, it's $8 trillion as a result of the pandemic and their responses. 
the process for the Fed to start to, you know, stop filling the punch bowl to end kind of in this party is uh, already been laid out in 2008. The markets know what exactly what, how the approach the Fed's going to do. And so they're telegraphing that so there's no surprises. And part of why you're seeing this thing kind of calm in the market up today, S&P's up 1.5%, uh, it's because the Fed has done a good job at telegraphing what their expectations are going to be mm-hmm. and how they're going to unwind this. Right. Timing gets to be a little question. Now, with inflationary pressures, I think what's interesting to me is that the Fed has always focused on inflation. As long as I've been in the business, they've always tried to fight the inflation front. This time, they've shifted to that average inflation targeting, going to let inflation run north of 2% in order to get the 2% average. We've been way south of yep. that for decades. Yep. So that is a big change away from uh, you know focusing on inflation to focusing on full employment. So they're going to take the error on the side of inflation running a lot because they think they can get a hold of it. And part of the tools they'll use. So that's the, the question that we have every day right now is Jason and I as PMs in here is uh, when does this Fed have to move? So they are now yesterday they're going to end tapering. Let's talk a little bit about that. Right now the Fed purchases $120 billion a month of both treasuries and mortgage backs. Uh, they currently have expanded the Fed's balance sheet to five point, uh, right about $5.4 billion in treasuries and $2.5 billion in mortgage-backed securities. They're going to start tapering at the amount of $15 billion a month. All that simply means is they're not going to purchase $15 billion of us. The Fed's been buying. They're going to reduce their buying by $15 billion a month until they end the tapering party uh, and sometime mid-year next year, their purchases. That $15 billion on an $8 trillion balance sheet is pocket change. It's left to us, but for the size of that that we're talking about, it's going to have very little impact on the market. Now, the next step would be, and the really hard decision for the Fed, is when do we lift off interest rates? When do we start raising the federal funds rates? Inflation is going to answer that, right? Yeah. There's some talk now. You're seeing a little bit of hawkishness in Federal Reserve governors. There's the hawks on there and the doves. The doves want to keep rates low through end of 23. The hawks are now starting to point to an end of 22 move, mm. 2022. Mm-hmm. So you may see some little bit of, of moving in there. Um, but I'm not. The next step, so you, you go through the taper. Then the Fed goes through the Fed rate hike. And then the next step the Fed's going to do is as the, uh, instead of reinvesting their $8 trillion balance sheet, they're going to let the bonds mature as the cash comes in. They send it over to Treasury and they just pare that thing down. That's all going to come. The Fed announced that, hey, we're looking to normalize Fed policy. However, uh, we're willing to be accommodative should conditions change. Right. So they've sent a pretty good signal market that's being received well. Now you're seeing bond yields move up today pretty sharply. It's a day lag. The treasuries, we were 1.3% on the 10-year. We had 1.4 today. That's mm-hmm. a pretty big move in one day. Yeah, and you shared a chart with us earlier of the S&P 500, uh, the price-to-earnings ratio overlaid with the U.S. 10-year treasury, and made the comment the cost of capital is coming down, PEs expanded, and the rising rates are going to have the opposite effect, right? That's where we're going. That's what you're yeah, seeing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what you're going to see. Rates in and eat into that PE multiple. It's a yep. discount factor in a present value analysis. You just plug in the formula, higher rates, bring prices down. Yep. Um, 
you know, for the Fed to kind of move towards this liftoff, what we're looking for is the Fed to get where they're comfortable that we got a 4% unemployment rate, that we're uh, the 2% average inflation targeting is w- within check, and the outlook for inflation doesn't exceed 2%. So there, there's some markers they're using in here before they start to move. But uh, I think with that, that multiple, you know, the issue with the price earnings multiple is it feeds into future returns. Mm. So if I start with a high multiple, it pulls down my forward returns. So that's kind of the setup that we have here. We talked earlier, I know we put out a, a little flash report relating, you know, the PE multiples at 30 has come down about 26 times as that earnings growth has continued and prices have come off a little bit. Uh, we still see that earnings to be supportive of the PE multiple, low inflation supportive of that. So and we probably are in a position where the multiple is going to stay high, rich, uh, as we continue to kind of to move forward to this. I, I, um, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the setup that we have going forward with this multiple as a result of it. You know, these big secular bull markets, they start out with the early stages of really strong earnings growth. Boom. But, you know, we, let's go. These secular bulls are long term embedded bull markets. Right. Uh, we've had three in, in recent modern times. We had one at post-World War II, which was 1945 to 68. Then we had one from 82 to 2000, which was after the big hike of inflationary years in the 70s, set up for a disinflationary, deflationary environment. Off we went. And then uh, also um, you, you have to have um, low starting valuations, right, to start these bull markets. Well, that's not where we are with PE multiples. And the last thing also you want to see is rising profit margins. Those are all kind of the recipes for us to have these big secular bulls. We're kind of the opposite of that right now, right? We're starting with interest rates that are very low that are starting to go higher. We're starting with very high valuation levels. And we have profit margins that are really the best we've ever seen. So it's hard to see margins improving from here. So you may start to see margin pressure, particularly from labor, right? We're seeing the wage demands and things of that nature. It's kind of bleeding into that. So what that implies is lower future returns. And so this year we think, you know, we're up 18%. You got the possibility, you know, the, you know, the S&P 4,700 to 5,000 this year. And let me tell you why I think we, the setup for a year end rally is in play right now. And that is a, uh, it's a setup where we have the corporations that buy stocks are currently in a blackout period. They're not able to buy their shares back in front of earnings. We're about to have the uh, third quarter earnings come out here in October. So you have a big, big purchaser of stocks that's on the sideline. Outside of that, I have two trillion, just in the United States alone, in excess savings of money that people didn't spend the last few years. Sitting, you know, government programs and then savings of that nature. So there is a lot of investor firepower underneath this market that may unleash as we go into this fourth quarter on earnings growth and all these good things that we're talking about. It's just the setup gets a little bit cloudy as we move into next year. So bull markets, my experience, they they tend to end on kind of moonshots, just really strong lifts. But I've also seen too many charts where the decline mirrors the ascent, the descent. So if I get a sharp rally, I can get a sharp sell-off. So I'm not 
saying suggesting that happens, but those are just things to be wary of. If we get a big blow off in the year end, we would likely be lightening up into that, particularly on high valuations and face of rising rates. Okay. Well, you know, on top of all of the things that are happening in the market right now, as we kind of return back to some sense of normal after this pandemic and the recovery, we've also got the conversation going on in Congress right now about potential tax law changes. And we're getting some of those calls here at the office. They're hearing the the headlines about maybe the capital gains rate going up and things like that. Um, How do you see some of that playing out as we finish this year out in terms of putting pressure on the market? You know, the thing that we were pleased to see in the market that wasn't as bad as we had feared, the proposals on tax. So you hadn't seen a big sell-off in the market as a result of it. You know, earlier talks were much, much higher. You know, all the deal with the state taxation, all these different things that they were proposing. So what's kind of come out is a little bit more palatable. However, anytime you raise taxes, that's going to impact the earnings of the market. So we're looking for this year, 2021, to end about $202 per share in earnings for the S&P 500. That was a 42% growth over last mm. year, right? Wow. All that stimulus, everything that lifted up. But as we go forward in 22, we're only looking for about a 9% increase in earnings, up to $220 a share in earnings. I go out to 23, another 9% increase in earnings, which puts us uh, uh, 240. That's where the rub is. How much of that earnings per share is going to be hit by this tax increase? Could we lose all of next year's expected earnings growth because of the tax increase? Reduce S&P earnings from 220 down to you know 202, 205. That's possibly the outcome. I think that we can work through it because this wasn't too onerous of a tax bite but there'll be a period of adjustment as we go through that, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the debt ceiling, all these different things that they're doing right now in Congress. You know, it's an interesting time uh, for investors with politics right now. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, the debt ceiling drama. You, you were sharing a story with me earlier um, about how that kind of came about um, and what that looks like, that really it is just political, political drama, more, more or less. Yeah, and and uh, can you imagine the U.S. not paying its bills? You know, right. Not paying its debt? I mean, that's we all have to say this. If we went to that position and we actually weren't able to pay make a payment on, on our Treasury debt, um, that would be have extreme consequences in this market. You're yeah. looking hard down. You're looking at a big, big sell-off, a global impact. So the consequences of them failing to act are far too great. Even politicians understand that if they're playing games or whatever they're doing with this, Mm -hmm. uh, it it would be catastrophic. So what we will see is the brinkmanship of politics. Today, uh, I saw the Biden administration is telling federal agencies to prepare for a shutdown. So here we go. We're going in that dance. The Treasury has tools, resources. They're not telling you the exact date because they don't want politicians to know. They're right. screaming. They've written editorials in the Wall Street Journal and all that about the need to, to pass the debt ceiling. But there's a period somewhere in October. So we still, we don't know the exact date, but if, if they shut down on September 30th, we still have the ability to fund for a period of time in October. So the markets are going to be aware of that with expectations, just like the last several they've done, that they'll come back to the table and resolve it. Mm -hmm. You know, there may be high political theater on this one. They always are. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's just another thing that we kind of keep our eyes on. You have to. I mean, it, yeah. it does feed through. And I, I, of course, I tell clients all the time they get caught up in this is, you know, 80% of that is just posturing and garbage. Don't listen to it. They're just saying things to, you know, yeah. be, try to be relevant or whatever. But you do have to pay attention because 20% of it could have an impact on your portfolio. Right, right. Well, I think that we covered uh, a lot of ground here. <laughs> A lot to think about. Markets are certainly been different this year. I mean, it's it's a post-pandemic world, um, and we're still in recovery. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to, for yeah. us to, sh- to you just know, share? A lot of this is um, supply chain-related issues and the COVID, the Delta variant that came along. And what's going to continue to help our recovery is the vaccine push into emerging and, and frontier economies the poor nations of the world. And you're seeing that now. We've had five and a half billion doses of the vaccines administered globally right now. Uh, there's still plenty of parts of this world that hasn't received any vaccines. I think Africa off the top of my head. So we have to see that continue to push. And you are starting to see the developed nations, the richer nations start to push vaccines out. That's gonna di- address the issues of logistics. Yeah. The Fed cannot, Monetary policy will have nothing to do with logistics. That's a structural issue, not a financial issue. Right. right. We're starting to see signs as that starts to log jam, you know, Long Beach, all the different ones start to, you know, you, you get that going again. That's, that's going to be a positive. I think that feeds into the fourth quarter and perhaps this year in rally is the underlying impact of normalization of supply chains. It's going to extend for a while. We, we know that well yeah. into next year. Right. Uh, but it's it's moving. I saw this week where there's been several new uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas ships that have been received that have just been made. You're starting to see the whole LNG uh, industry, you know, uh, increase their ability to move gas uh, to foreign countries. It's breaking up in different areas, and we're seeing some positive signs. But it's it's still problematic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm encouraged by it. Yeah. I, I think that all feeds into this year in rally. With all this money coming in, uh, a still extraordinarily accommodative Federal Reserve. Uh, and you look at stocks, and I look at everything else out there, and I say, hey, there's this Tina concept, which is there is no alternative to stocks. Rates probably stay low for a few years before we get that lift off. It's going to continue to feed equities, which will stay richly valued and we'll, we'll continue on. But mm-hmm. going forward, and that's one thing I want to talk about. I talked about these shifts going forward. I do want to close with this, is what's worked for us in the last decade plus, 2008, growth over value, U.S. over international. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to be the setup going forward. This little inflationary kick that we've got has the ability to change a few things at the margin and get us out of this position where... Uh, you know, the Fed has been the only one and only game in town. Now we've moved towards fiscal spending by governments and more the normalization of, of how that all should work. So, uh, you know, it, there's a lot on the table right now. It's not the same setup we've had the last two years, uh, but I think there's still, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think we'll be able to continue to have a, a good equity market for the next decade. Uh, but we're going to perhaps be taking opportunities where companies are presenting. You know, I could see more of a stock pickers market than an index market. I know we've been saying that forever. But 
this is a different paradigm shift that we're having here. And I just, it's something that's on the radar that I'm mindful of. It's keeping me up at night. Are we shifting leadership? And are if we're doing so, we have to be prepared in the portfolios to right. accommodate that. Right. Well, thank you, Glenn, for your thoughts. It's always uh, a great conversation. Um, and thank you to our listeners for listening to Royal Harbor Partners Market Talk. At RHP, we're passionate about planning for your financial future. We are devoted to our relationships with multi-generational families for the creation of successful legacies. Through our one-on-one conversations, we can help you navigate your personal wealth management and investment journey. How different will your life look with the right advice? Call us today or visit our website, royalharborpartners.com, to start your conversation. Royal Harbor Partners is a registered investment advisor, and the opinions expressed by Royal Harbor Partners on this show are their own. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.